And I entitled today's message, The Beast from the Land, which is absolutely not creative or interesting because it's just like last week, which is the beast from the sea. So we're talking about the false prophet. As we began, I told you I had an idea about religion I wanted to share with you. And here's what it is. I went back through and I began to look up the definition of religion because it's very different today than it was 50 years ago. If you are perhaps of an older generation, religion still may have a positive connotation for you where you would literally say, hey, religion, well, that's something that I'm proud of. That is something where I can worship the Lord in. That's a set core of beliefs that I can really invest in. And it's about my God. You have a positive view. If you are of a younger generation, religion is a hated word. You don't like hearing it. You don't want it anywhere around you. Anything that gets uh, that's religious, you immediately distance yourself from. For the last decade or so, the church has begun to move with the society and began to distance themselves from religion as well. For example, you'll hear much more ever since maybe the uh, 70s moving forward. You've heard this idea that it's not a religion, it's a relationship, right? That's the big thing. Get away from the religion, go into the relationship. Personal relationship with Jesus Christ has been highlighted for the last three decades or so. This big thing about don't give me religion. Religion's bad. All right, so what is it? Because the Bible talks about religion quite a bit. It talks about good and bad religion. So we look at this and we say, what is religion? Well, the way I looked at it, it says there was two definitions. Number one, service and worship of the supernatural. All right. That's cool. That if that's God, that's great. If that's something else, that's not good. Right. But service and worship of the supernatural. Number two, a set system of practices or beliefs held with faith. In other words, a bunch of stuff you do with religious overtones, right? Or spiritual overtones. All right. So is that good or bad? Well, it's neutral. It depends on what you're going to do with it. So when I looked at it, I realized that there are three types of religion or religious things in our culture today that I want to help separate out. Number one is empty religion. All right. Empty religion. What is empty religion? It is human designed attempts by broken humans to make themselves worthy of God by practices which can never accomplish what they're for. Ultimately trying to do for themselves what God did for them. That's empty religion. Empty religion is where you're trying to reach God on your own merits. You're trying to be moral. You're trying to be perfect. You're trying to be purified. You're trying to be clean merely without Jesus, I would suggest to you that is empty religion. All right. Now, is there a lot of empty religion in the world? Certainly there is. The Bible talks about it here and there, what empty religion would be. In Colossians 2.20, Paul said, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value 
in restraining sensual indulgence. In other words, hey, you look good, but it's just not doing anything. James 1.26, if anyone considers himself religious and doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. All right, empty religion. There's a lot of it in the world. And I want to tell you there's a lot of it in our lives. Each time we get together as a worship team, prayer team, pastoral team to pray for the weekend, which is on Saturday nights. Each time we get ready to do that, we try to re-rack ourselves and get ourselves in the moment. Last night, I was sitting there with a team and I said, we've got to empty ourselves of empty religion. We cannot walk up here and go, hey, we do this every week. Jeremy stands up. I'm going to play a couple songs. I'm going to kind of get into it, get into the groove, just kind of do what's normal. Hey, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to teach. We're going to talk a little bit about the Bible. We have to do it as if it's the first time. We have to get up there, get engaged with it, lock in with Jesus, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying, and do it from the heart every time. That is our job as leaders. I now expand that out to you. That is our job as believers. You cannot walk into church and go, this is just what we do, and think that you're going to connect with the Lord at all. You've got to walk in and say, I'm doing it from the heart. Now, are there times when you need to do a set code of things to try to change your behavior? Yeah, that's called self-control. That's called discipline. We all need that stuff. And there's times you're not going to want to do a lot of things. That's fine. But if you're doing things on a consistent basis with no heart, you got empty religion and it's not going to cut it. It's not going to help you out. You might as well just stop doing whatever that is. When we come to church, when we engage with God in prayer, because prayer and worship are two of the easiest places to dive into empty religion, right? Where you pray and you get into this idea where somehow you're going to manipulate God by your cool words, right? Isn't that what we normally do? I'm going to make God do stuff because I'm going to say in Jesus name at the end, then he's going to have to do it. Or I'm going to pray a certain prayer and I do it like a mantra. And if I do it over a certain amount of period, he has to do it. Do you understand all the garbage that's involved in that? Do you understand there's so many empty words that are coming out? Hold on a second. Back up. You're talking to your heavenly father. Talk to him. Talk to him about what's going on. Talk to him about your life. Talk to him about your needs. Talk to him about your fears. Talk to him about him, about who he is. Talked about how great he is and what he has already done. This is prayer. Worship's the same way. You begin to just start singing because that's just what you do. Or you sing merely because you like the tune. Or you sing for whatever reason. But is your heart engaging? If it's not, then we slip into very easily empty religion. Do you find any of that in your life or am I just kind of talking to myself? All right. I I hope that some of you realize that that's a danger. All right. So the first problem that we have, first pitfall is empty religion. The second one is damaging religion. This is real fast. This is the way I define it. When someone uses rules and regulations with spiritual overtones to hold someone down, abuse them or lead them astray. Has that ever happened in the world? You better believe it all the time. There are very few things that will irritate God faster than that. Don't you dare smack someone and then sign God's name and leave his card. You understand what you're doing? 
You're manipulating with God's authority. Now, do you understand that religion is powerful? Everybody got that? Fill in the blank in front of you, just in case you didn't. Let me throw this down for you. Religion is one of the world's most powerful deceivers. Religion is one of the world's most powerful deceivers. Why? Because it's loaded with everything you need to mess with someone's head. Here's why. If I tell you to do something, and I have a relationship with a good number of you, but if I, Lanton, tell you to do something, like I said, uh, I would like you to go ahead and schedule an appointment and hang out with somebody in this church. I just gave you a challenge. Now, a lot of you are just going to ignore me. Okay. That's really the truth of the matter. Some of you are going to go, Oh, you know what, Lance, that's a good point, And I buy into what you're saying. Some of you are just going to go, you know what? Not going to happen. Sorry. Sorry, bud. I, I love you. You're a nice guy, but there's no way you can take or leave what I tell you. Now, let me spin it this way. I've received a word from the Lord and God has said that you must Go and make a connection with someone else, for it is to his glory. And it is right. And God is never wrong. Okay, now, how do you feel about it now? Okay, do you understand what I just did? I just took God's name and authority and forced someone to do something I wanted them to do. Do you understand how messed up that is? You can't do that. Have people done that? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, every world dictator has a really hard time controlling the people without using religious overtones to get it done. Why? Because if you invoke the name of God, then they know they're being watched by someone that's always hovering right over them and even when they sleep. Right? You have invoked the fear of the supernatural in them and they must do what you want them to do. That is horrifyingly damaging. Is there such thing as true religion? Is there such thing as good religion? Yes, there is. James goes on to say in verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Oh, there's true religion. There is worship of God. There is a set core of beliefs that he has set down that is true and right. And when you operate out in your religion, it must always be out of love. It must always be for the benefit of the person that you're ministering to. It can be tough. It can be soft. But it always must be loving. And it must be in accordance with what God has said. Amen? That is true religion. What we are about to see in Revelation is religion taken to the extreme, used for manipulation and damage for a worldwide domination. Will you turn with me to Revelation chapter 13? Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, it's page 874 in the Bibles that were handed to you. Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, we're just going to be reading from that to the end of the chapter. 
And if you remember where we're at is we're at in this portion of this book called Revelation where John is receiving visions about how the end of the world is and what God is doing about it. And he's received a series of special signs, pictures, symbols. The first of the seven symbols or signs was a woman, a pregnant woman. We learn that she likely represents what? Israel. Then she was giving birth to a male child who represents Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Then an enormous red dragon appears in the sky and he represents Satan. Then as the dragon goes to the edge of the shore of the sea, a beast, a big creepy monster animal thing comes crawling out of the sea and that represents the Antichrist, and now a new beast will arise, this time out of the earth, out of the land, and that's where we pick up our story today. Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, it says this, John says, Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast for it is man's number. His number is six, six, six. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning and having a time to worship you in song. A time to remember your sacrifice, Jesus. To remember living in a state of grace and celebrating what you have done that we could not do. We thank you, Lord, for a time to sit amongst friends, family, and Lord, a time to read your word. A time in a temperature-controlled environment, safe from attack, to where we can study and say, Lord, what do you desire from me? God, give us spiritual insight that we may understand a little bit more today. That we may live a little bit more rightly before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's tear this thing apart. John said, then I saw another beast. Another creepy animal monster thing, right? I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. What in the world is this thing? Now, the last one came out of the sea. This one comes out of the land. What does that represent? Why are they coming out of two different areas? Is it merely to say that they're two different beasts? 
Is one way of saying that one is coming out of a tumultuous environment and one is not? Does one suggest coming out of Gentile humanity, non-Jew, meaning the sea, but the land would speak much more to the promised land, therefore that one rising out would come out of the Middle East or come out of what? Israel. There's so many guesses that bounce around. We even have the ability and perhaps the most likely chance that coming out of the land means coming out of the abyss meaning of demonic nature the only thing that comes out of the earth seems to suggest when the abyss opens up and something crawls out of it you're going to see that happen a couple more times we already saw scary locust things come out of the abyss right the demonic nature of it does it mean this beast is coming of demonic nature most likely now what does it look like Well, it said it had two horns like a lamb. Horns in Revelation most commonly represent what? Power and authority. Okay? But now it has two horns like a lamb. Now, why would you say that? A lot of animals have two horns. Why did he pick a lamb? Well, lambs have a little bit different horns. If it's a ram, it's got the big old huge things. If it's a lamb, it has the two little nubs. Right? Lambs have lame horns. Are we all in agreement on that? Okay. These are just stupid horns. Okay, now horns usually represent authority. Now, he's following along with the Antichrist. The Antichrist is represented by this, by this, uh, uh, this dragon type beast and it's got, well, this one beast, it has seven heads and it's, it's kind of brutal, has ten horns. Well, this one only has two little nubs. So you'd go, well, it's not as powerful as the other one. Alright. But it still looks like a lamb. Why is that significant? Two reasons. Number one, what was Jesus represented as? A lamb. And of course, Satan constantly mimics and tries to counterfeit whatever Jesus does. So number one, it looks like Jesus, but that lamb had more than two horns. So why does he look like a lamb? Mostly because no one ever seems to have nightmares of an attack of a lamb. Lambs are horrible at attack. Now, I don't know. It's not like you can't train them, right? I'm sure you can make ninja lamb, but really, there's nothing a lamb's going to do to you. He's got to get really close to you and bite you. It's really his only option because otherwise he can't really hit you with those lame little paws. He's got nothing. So mostly everybody thinks of lambs as, oh, they're really cute. I would suggest to you that that is the primary target of this passage. This guy's coming with all the appearance of, oh, isn't he neat? Isn't he cool? Look at him. He does amazing stuff. There's no way he would ever hurt a fly. Ah, he's Mr. Peace. Mr. Easy going, Mr. Nice Guy. All right. Two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a what? Dragon. And what does that mean? Either it means he's really loud. I've never heard a dragon speak, so I don't know. But either he's really loud or serpent and dragon are tied together really well. How did the serpent talk in the garden? Ah, with a lisp. No, he didn't. No, he talked. I'm just kidding. He talked with deception. Yeah. 
Isn't that his manner of speaking? His manner of speaking is to deceive. He talks in a way that you start buying into whatever he's selling. And you're totally convinced it was your idea. And you're totally convinced that it's a great idea. And no way would it offend God. And if it offends God, you know what? It's probably a good thing. Because God's being selfish and keeping something away from you. Do you remember how he operated? In the same way this man walks up and he's got this forked tongue to where he is able to convince you of things. Very deceptive. Very sleek. Right? So he looks innocent and he speaks with deception. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf, meaning he is the guy that gets it done. The world dictator, antichrist guy can militarily get certain things done, but you can only do so much with a gun. Eventually you have to own their hearts if you're going to make it work. So who's going to make it all work for him? Who's going to be the glue? The false prophet, his right hand man who will win the hearts of the people. That he will grab them with religion. And begin to draw them in and cement them into the view of the Antichrist. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. How do you make someone worship something? We have a hard enough time sometimes leading people to worship. How do you force someone to worship? Well, you got to redefine worship. Worship ultimately in this case, means allegiance and loyalty. Can you force someone to be loyal to something? Yeah, pretty much you can. How do you make them? You're going to find out he does it through economic boycott. He takes everything away from everybody. So they want to sign up. You can manipulate and work anything to getting people to do what you want them to do. He made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Everybody remember the whole wound that was healed thing? Remember the beast had seven heads. One of the heads looked like it was wounded to the point of death, but it came back. And we all went, ooh, what's that mean? Is it an assassination attempt? Is it, if it's an empire, does that mean it looked like the empire was going to fall, but it came back? Remember that whole discussion last week? That's what it's talking about. So who is this beast from the land? If the other one's the Antichrist, who's this one? He is later known as the false prophet. He is the united world power. If it's a man, specifically, then he's the right-hand man of the Antichrist, the religious guy. If it's a power, then he's the religious institution that backs up the Antichrist. Historically, there's been two religious institutions that have been attacked as being the false prophet in history. The first one, and the one in John's day that was most likely used, was the priests who ran the emperor cult. Y'all remember what was causing the persecution of the Christians? Domitian told everyone that the Caesar told everyone that they needed to say every year, take a pinch of incense, throw it in the fire and say, Caesar is Lord. Do you remember that? And the Christians wouldn't do that. So there was massive persecution. All right. Caesar thinks he's God, but you can't get anything done unless the religious institution buys into it. 
you had to have the support of the priesthood, the support of all the religious leaders that started invoking your name, getting everyone to worship, manning the temples, helping with the persecution, setting up the incense altar, and all of that. you got to get the church guys in. So the first guess is all the priests that supported emperor cult worship are represented here. That was the first guess. The second guess, which hit about 1,400 years later, was what? The papacy. The popes. Why? Think about the Reformation period. Think about what the Roman Catholic Church had become. They had mixed with what? Politics. They were nothing like they are today. They don't even look relatively similar The Catholic Church today is dramatically different than the Catholic Church that Martin Luther saw. He's looking out and going, this is absolutely the worst thing I've ever seen. It's not even religious anymore. It's using religion in a political means to destroy people. Well, do you understand why a lot of people began to guess that the Roman Catholic Church was the false prophet? began to be very obvious to them. Is it? You look at all these different things and you say, what is this thing? All we know is that it's likely a religious institution led by one primary dictating religious man who leads the world astray. What's it going to look like? I have no idea. But how in the world are you going to unite many religions? You understand how far apart we are in other religions? We don't get along, right? The, the Buddhists do not agree with the Muslims. The Muslims do not agree, what, with the Hindus. The Hindus certainly don't agree with the Christians. So you've got all these people in their camps and no one's moving. So how in the world are you going to unite these people worldwide to where they're going to buy into what you have? You better bring something bigger than they've ever seen. Well, that's exactly what happens. Let's take a look back at the passage. And he performed great and miraculous signs. Let's pause. You ever heard that phrase before? It was used of Jesus's earthly ministry. What did Jesus do? He did great and miraculous signs. What does the false prophet do? Same exact thing. Counterfeit, duplicate, trying to show he's just as good as even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Whoa. Anybody remember the Old Testament story where that happened? Who was the prophet? Elijah on Mount Carmel. He then says, listen, we all have these religions flying around. You got the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asherah. I'm the one guy standing for Yahweh, the true God. And they all said, no, you're not. No, you're not right. There was an argument. He said, all right, let's have a showdown. If your religion is correct, you pray to your God and fire can come down from heaven. If my God is correct, I'll have fire come down on my side. And then we will worship the God who responds by fire. Do you remember this? That's a really gutsy move, (laughs) right? Because you're going to feel really stupid if no fire comes down from heaven. They set up these two big altars. There's 850 prophets on the other side versus one guy. Everybody's watching. If for all practical purposes, it's a world stage. 
All of Israel is now watching. What are we going to do? What's going to happen? Well, as we know, the other guys did their little song and dance number and nothing happened. All right. And as, oh, by the way, Elijah kept making fun of them along the way, which is a very nice Christian thing to do. Then he said, all right, are you guys done now? Can I go? All right, great. Let's make mine poured over with water so it's far more wet so no one goes, it was spontaneous combustion, okay? So let's be very clear on something. God, show them you're real. The sky opens up and lightning fires down and fire ignites the thing and burns everything up. How cool is that? I would literally right there go, I'm in. I don't know what you just did, but that was pretty awesome. If you can call down fire from heaven at will, you're the man, right? So you're clearly serving the right God. Everything's legit. What happens if the other team gets that same power? Uh Uh-oh. See, a lot of our religions are arguing things of faith. They're going, well, I believe this. Well, I believe this. Well, I believe that. What if one just laid it down and goes, I'll show you this. Bam! And fire streaks out of the sky. All the other religions go, oh, you win. Why in the world would God allow this guy to have that kind of power? Well, why does he ever allow bad things to happen? There's got to be options. You going to follow it? What are you going to do? Where's your loyalty? Where's your allegiance? What, just because of a fancy trick, you've now changed? Oh, God, what has God done lately for me? Do you understand Satan's been playing that game for millennia? Oh, I'll give you what you need. I'll, I'll give it to you right now. What do you want? I'll give you a shortcut. Remember? That's the heart of all temptation. The shortcut. He performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image. What's an image? Well, it's something that looks like something else. It could be everything from a picture to a painting to an imprint on a coin Whatever you may say that represents something else, likely from the context, it seems to be much like a statue. So a statue would be an image, right? In the Old Testament, we read many stories about guys setting up statues of themselves and everybody demanding to be worshiping that, right? Now, he has an image. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. That's the first time you find out why he had a mortal wound. Why was it? Well, sword. Someone literally went in and tried to kill it, but it didn't work. He still lived. So he said, in in honor of this great and mighty leader. I now have erected a statue. This statue before you will represent our great and mighty leader. Well, it says, and he was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak. Ooh, that's creepy. Really? He made it come alive? No way. Satan can't do that. Oh, we don't know what Satan can and cannot do. But I will tell you this. Whatever that image is, it will speak. We are pretty darn tech savvy. In the ancient world, 
priests of, of bogus cults and everything else were exceptional at trickery. They were really good at deception. They literally would use ventriloquism to lead people astray. Now, it would be kind of like, the great God said, right? And they're trying not to move their lips. Okay, now we have so much of that going on, nobody's going to fall for that one. Why does the God always have a high voice, right? Stuff like that. We can kind of figure it out. We're like, ah, oh, your lips moved. Okay, so it better be something far advanced beyond that, right? You can't just trick people with ventriloquism, okay? So what is it? Well, we also realize that there are many magicians that work on illusion and magic and things like that. Don't you think that if Satan's going to try to establish a world religion, he's going to dig a little deeper in his pockets than that? All right, what is it? I have no idea. Can Satan cause something to come to life? We always assume that life is God's decision to create. But can breath be manipulated? I don't know. I do know that even the magic arts, somehow, when Moses threw down a staff and it became a snake, they threw theirs down and they became snakes. Last time I learned, snakes were alive. Right? So whatever they did last time, they made stick into snake. There was also other miracles that they would maneuver around. The black arts are scary stuff. Satan has an awful lot of power to manipulate. Now, What's going to happen here? I don't know, but this thing is going to talk. And you know how freaky that's going to be? And you know how much everyone's going to go, whoa. All right, you're the big dog. Then, look at the next sentence. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Now, the way the Greek is written, it either means he caused them to be killed or the statue caused them to be killed. Does that mean the statue announced their judgment and then they were sought out to be killed? Or that the statue itself killed them? We don't know. It's too open to interpretation. All we know is this is serious, serious business. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, that means everybody, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead. So no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark. All right, what? What's the mark? What are you talking about? They can't buy or sell. How's that going to work? You got to have a couple systems in place. Number one, you got to have a one world government. It's the only way that's going to fly. Number two, you got to have access to all commerce and get everyone to buy into a system by which you dominate. You cannot buy or sell anywhere in the world. Without this. Now, do you all understand we do not have that in place right now? Okay. Could it come in place soon? Absolutely. But we don't have that ability right this second. Why? There's too many ways to spend money. There's too many people that could escape and move through. Merchants want money. They would still cave. Did we get closer with a credit card? Sure we did. Did we get closer with online banking? Sure we did. Why? Because those can be controlled from a one location. You can shut down and block everyone's ability to spend money. You go cashless, you keep removing this idea, then everyone starts going, hey, wait a second, my card, I keep losing my card. Can I get a replacement card? Can I get a new pin, right? You keep doing that. Well, now all of a sudden they go, well, it's a lot safer if we could just go ahead and have something on our bodies that we could go ahead and buy and sell with. That's where all these guesses come from. 
If you've ever read any of these books about the end times, it's always something like that, right? There's a tattoo. Tattoos are old school, all right? I really don't think that's what we're going to be talking about. I understand barcodes. Woo, those are so 19 what? 60? Okay, it's not that impressive. Do we have better stuff? Well, it's an implanted chip. Come on. Really? We're, we're going to have to sit there and go, gosh, my little chip itches, right? No, it's probably better than that. Whatever it's going to be has got to be much more subtle than that. So I don't know what this is, but what is it suggesting when it says a mark? When John's readers would hear mark, what were they thinking? Well, there was a lot of marks in the Old Testament that use very similar wording. Let me give you an example of these. Number one, there was tattooing, yes. Soldiers, slaves that were really into their owners or really into their emperors could willingly, or not, get a tattoo on their forehead or their hands of their allegiance. Okay? So that's number one. Could be a tattoo. Number two, if a slave was disobedient or a soldier lost a war, he would get branded. We all know what branding is. That's the heat it up, stick it on your skin, burn, 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 right? Or the third thing, the same word is used for seals on documents. So whenever a emperor sent out or issued a decree, they would seal it with his name and the date, which meant it was his property. There was also a Jewish view that they would wear phylacteries, you guys know, little boxes on their foreheads and on their left arms. What was in those little boxes? Scripture, four scriptures. And it was the idea that I'm going to have it on me when I do things and on my mind and in my heart. That was the idea. Is this a mimicry of the Jewish view? Also, when you went up to take a pinch of incense and said, Caesar is Lord, they would give you a certificate and it was the same word. You're a worshiper of Caesar. Here you go. You've done your honoring. What about when a new Christian came into the community? They would make the mark of a cross on his forehead. Was it a literal mark? No, it was an anointing mark. The idea was welcome to our community and they would draw a cross on his forehead or an X for the sign of Christ. Is that what it means? Lastly, on a coin, every time a new emperor came up, he had his new picture put on the coin. And it's the same word. Do you understand that in John's day, there was this concept used everywhere about marking what was yours? What's this mark going to be? Is it going to be visible or invisible? We don't know. There's arguments for both. Do you understand this is a mimicry of God's mark? We read that a couple chapters ago. The 144,000 were sealed on their foreheads with God's name. Do we really think that a bunch of Jews are going to run around with Yahweh stuck on their forehead? Hey, where'd you get that? I had a godly tattoo. Is that really what's going to go on? No, it's invisible. It means it's marked on their character. So invisible would be in line. But if a merchant has to see it in order for you to buy and sell, it's got to be visible. Or at least able to be scanned. All right, we don't know. What must we carry forward? Where's your, lo- where's your allegiance? Where's your loyalty? Don't sign up in whatever fashion to someone other than Jesus Christ. Is there going to be intense pressure? Yes. 
But if you are here, which remember, we don't know where the church is at this moment. You don't give in. You go, who in the world is ever going to stand against something like that? Anybody remember the story of uh, three Hebrew boys? Wow. They're assumed historically to be about 14 years or younger. Three Hebrew boys, their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you remember this? Literally, what happened? A huge statue of the king at the time was set up. He said, when we play the little music, I want everyone to bow down and worship my statue, meaning I want you to worship me. And the Hebrew boys said, what? Can't do that. Sorry, we're only into Yahweh. We're not going to bend. You don't understand. If you don't worship me, you're not part of us. I will throw you into a fiery furnace, right? Which means a big, huge cooker going to bake the little kids alive now they don't know how the story ends they're going through music hits get them all out there three little kids what do they do and by the way if you're 14 i didn't mean to call you little okay what do they do they don't bend so he gets soldiers grabs them hurls them into the oven that was a scary time for them do we all agree They did not know what was going to happen next. What did happen next? Pretty cool. The king's looking from a distance, look down into the fiery pit that's all burning. And he says, didn't we just throw three guys in there? Why are there four? One like the son of man's walking around down there. How cool is that? That Jesus is hanging out with them in the fire. When they came out, not even the smell of smoke was on their clothes. Now, the exact same thing happened with Daniel, their buddy, right? He got thrown into the lion's den because he kept praying to God and not doing what the empire wanted him to do. What happened there? He was rescued. Has every martyr been rescued in history? No, the vast majority have died doing that very same thing. Is it any different here? Absolutely not. But do we have a representative? Do we have someone that's gone before us? Do we have thousands, perhaps millions throughout history that have died for the cause of God. Yes. And they stand before us as a great cloud of witnesses saying, we don't bow. That's not what we do. What, you can't buy or sell food? All right. I guess we're going to have to find another way. We finish with this. Unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Huh? What are you talking about? Number of his name. Gematria. Extremely popular in John's day. What's Gematria? It's where you assign a number to a letter. They did it in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And they would use it as a code. A, example. A was one. You'd go up through nine. Then it started with 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. Then it went 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, and so on. You then add up the letters. You calculate and have a number. It was so popular that there was a line of graffiti found in the doomed city of Pompeii that said, what? I love her whose number is 545. So that was kind of cute, huh? He basically could, no one quite knew exactly what name, because a lot of names would fit into that, but she knew. Is that what John is doing? 
is John using the common gematria of the day to communicate the name of the Antichrist. If he is, his immediate readers understood, and nobody else. Why? Because nobody has a clue what this means. You go, well, that's because, I mean, we're 2,000 years away. You ready? First guess was by a man named Irenaeus. Guess who Irenaeus was? He was Polycarp's disciple. You go, sorry, don't care. Polycarp was John's disciple. Ooh, hold on a second. You're only two guys away from the guy that wrote the book, and you don't know what it means. It's the second generation from John. It's, hey, I learned from the guy who learned from John, and I have no idea what it means. So clearly, it's a mystery. He had three guesses, all of which he went, no, I'm not convinced. He had no idea what it meant. What traditionally has been held, if it's gematria, what is the most common guess? Nero. Why? Because Neron comes out to 666. You take off the end, even do it Nero, it's 616. You know a weird thing? Is in some manuscripts of the Bible, the number is not 666, it's 616. Weird. However, do we all understand that gematria can be manipulated? Yeah. Okay, it pretty much makes it all useless. Why? Because all throughout history, every major leader ends up fitting in somehow. The big ones within recent time were Nero, Hitler, and Reagan. Y'all remember that? Anybody remember the Reagan one? Yeah! Ronald Reagan. Absolutely the Antichrist. Clearly, right? Remember there was an assassination attempt on his life? Oh my gosh, it's got to be. Then he and Nancy moved into Bel Air, into the house. Guess what the number was? 666! Whoa! They had to have it changed. Okay, do you understand how this stuff can start messing with people's heads? Because you start guessing, oh, I absolutely know who it is. No, you don't. Nobody has any idea what this means. John was pretty cryptic. Now, normally, he was just writing down what he saw. This is a chance for him to go, hey, let me give you a clue. If it was Nero, he was suggesting, listen, just like we went through Nero, and he persecuted the Jews in the same way, the Antichrist will. What ultimately does it mean to us? 666 is the number of man. Six is the number one less of perfection. The perfect number is seven. So what does it mean? It means fail, fail, fail. Yeah? Do you understand the unholy trinity that we've just seen? The red dragon as Satan is trying to mimic God the Father to get all the praise. The Antichrist with his wound that was healed and resurrected is trying to mimic the counterfeit Jesus Christ, the second person of the trinity. The false prophet with his religion is trying to bring in a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. This is an attempt to set up a worldwide religion to replace Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and all that is true. Will they succeed? Fail, fail, fail. Absolutely not. They cannot win. Does John know it? Yes. Do we know it? Yes. And so it finishes... This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. All right. So what do we take from this? Number one, don't be deceived by any religion. 
I don't care what kind of religious stuff is thrown out at you, what type of thing is called Christian, avoid it if it is not straight to God's word, right? Jesus Christ in the flesh, Savior of mankind. We are saved by grace through faith and by faith alone, right? All right. That's number one. Number two, root out any empty religion that's in your heart. Root out any of this garbage that seems to make you feel better about yourself, but really doesn't do anything. And finally, if you are a teacher, and I would suggest that every one of you has influence over someone, don't you ever use religion to manipulate someone else. You can't do that. It's not okay. You don't use it to make your argument better. You don't stamp God's name on it just so you win. You don't try to control people by trying to use the Bible. You don't use it to smack people over the head. You do not use it for anything but what God intended it for. Amen? As the Antichrist sets up a world domination... He will use everything in his tool bag. But we know now, and we will not be deceived. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, that as we go through our lives and all this garbage seems to fill into our minds, Lord, the stuff where we think we can try to push you around, we think we can get things done if we use the right mantra or code, Or, Lord, we try in so many ways to tell you what to do. Lord, allow us to be humble enough to realize we are human and you are God. Our allegiance and loyalty is to you alone, no matter what sort of miracles may come. No matter what sort of deception may be bred, we will stand true to you by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.